Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good morning, Mission Church. For those that don't know me, my name is Mike Lucia. I am so glad to be here today. I am excited to get into the message, but before we do, a couple quick things about me. Our family has been here at Mission Church since the very beginning, and what a ride it has been. My wife and I just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary this summer, a big milestone for us. We have three kids, all under the age of 10, and all girls. Even our dog is female. I am completely outnumbered in our house, and I love it. I am so blessed and thankful to have what we have. And speaking of giving thanks, a special shout out this morning to the staff here at Mission Church. You know, our lives have all been turned upside down the last five to six months. Everything that we've been accustomed to with being in person, our work life, school, extracurricular activities, all of it has transitioned to an online world. And I think we'd all agree the experiences and quality of those meetings can vary pretty drastically. And yet Mission Church has found a way to continue to raise the bar. The quality of the experience that we've all been able to take advantage of the last several months has been nothing short of exceptional. And obviously that doesn't happen by accident. Would you join me right now in just hitting the staff with some praise? Go ahead and drop it into the chat. Let them know how appreciative you are of everything that they have done and will continue to do for all of us in this season. Well, Tyler asked me to speak a couple of weeks ago and my prep and my game plan has really been simple. I've been trying to do a better job of just listening. Easier said than done, but I've tried to focus in on really two areas. Number one, I've really been trying to listen to what is going on in the world, what the world is saying. And number two, really been trying to listen in on what God has to speak to all of us and what he is saying. You know, both are so critically important. We never wanna become disconnected from what's happening in the world, and we definitely never wanna become disconnected from what God is speaking to us. And after trying to be intentional about listening the last several weeks, I've landed on a couple things that I wanna speak about today. The first one, you know, God and the world, I think are aligned on this one. We are in the wilderness. I'm not gonna give you any examples. I'm not gonna explain it to you. We're all living it. I think we'd all agree we are in a wilderness season right now. The second part, I don't know if God and the world are necessarily aligned here. We are in the wilderness and therefore the future is bright. It is a cause and effect. We are in the wilderness and therefore the future is bright. Look, I hear you CNN, I hear you Fox News, I hear you world. We are in the wilderness, but I also hear God telling me, don't lose hope. There is power in the wilderness. Freedom begins right here in the wilderness. And oh, revival. Revival starts right here in these wilderness seasons. Look, I'm here to encourage you today. I'm here to give you some good news. I'm here to shed a little bit of light on the plan that God has for all of us in this next season. I hope you're ready. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Would you pray with me? And then we will get things kicked off. Heavenly Father, we come today to give you thanks and praise. 
We thank you for everything that you are doing right now in this season. While we may not be able to see it at all times or feel it at all times, we know that you are at work and we thank you for that. We thank you for what's next and what is coming. And as always, Lord, we ask for an opportunity just to encounter your son, Jesus, this morning. And all God's people said, amen. All right, for those that are taking notes today, I would encourage you to do so. The title of the message is Thriving in the Wilderness. We're not here today to talk about surviving the wilderness. We're here to talk about how to thrive. And you gotta believe it that that God wants you to excel. God wants you to win. He wants to see you at your best. And so we're gonna talk about how to do that today. Let's first take a look at this concept of the wilderness. You know, the wilderness is a part of nature, but not just any part of nature. It's typically off the beaten path, desolate regions, deserts, mountain ranges, typically uninhabited. And yet there are those of us that are looking for a good time and will seek out the wilderness to test our survival skills or look for a little recreation. Now, believe it or not, our family happens to be one of those. We love the outdoors. We love a good camping trip. Next time we actually get to see each other in person, you grab one of my kids, you ask them how much they love camping. They will tell you how much they love room service, fresh towels, water slides, fresh sheets. Oh, we love camping. (laughs) I know, I got a little bit of work to do, but I need to do establish myself with you as an outdoorsman so I can convince you how to thrive here in the wilderness. So look, aside from some planned recreational trips out to the wilderness, I think we would all agree that emotionally, spiritually, the wilderness typically is not a fun season for us. It's typically marked with tests and trials, pain, suffering, grief, all of these things we can experience in wilderness seasons. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that it's okay and that it's normal for us to have to process all of that. And yet I also think that it is so important that we acknowledge that that is not the purpose of these seasons. I wrote two things down. These are the two most important things of the message today. If you're gonna walk away with two things, this is it. So I'd encourage you to write them down. Number one, the purpose of the wilderness is preparation, not pain. I'm gonna say it again. The purpose of the wilderness is preparation, not pain. And number two, God uses these wilderness seasons as a set up, not a setback. It is so true and yet so hard to remember and remind ourselves of this when we are in the thick of it. Let's look biblically at a couple of heroes that lived this out and proved that it is true. First, let's look at Abraham. You know, Abraham was living comfortably. He was living with wealth. He was living with family until one day God called him out of all of that and he called him to move away to a completely foreign land. And yet it was during this wilderness season for Abraham that he encountered God in a big way. And the covenant between God and Abraham was born and changed the landscape of history forever. What about Moses? Moses was born into Egyptian royalty. He had it all until one day he was chased into exile, found himself living in the wilderness, herding a flock. 
And yet it was in that wilderness season for Moses that he encountered the burning bush and therefore God and went on to be one of the great leaders of all of Israel. What about Saul? Saul went on a journey, a wilderness expedition, if you will. He searched the entire countryside for his father's lost donkey of all things. And yet it was during that wilderness journey for Saul that God gave him a new heart and commissioned him to be the first king of Israel. And last but certainly not least, the star of the show, Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by Satan. But it was Jesus's wilderness experience that left him emerging stronger, that left him emerging filled with the Holy Spirit and kicked off his public ministry. Do you see the theme? All four of these men exited the wilderness season stronger and better off than when they entered. All four of these men, these, these wilderness seasons, while there was struggle and there was pain, God used it as preparation. God used it as a setup so that they would all go on to do great and mighty things. And I'm here to tell you the same thing. I'm here to talk to you today about the fact that God has a plan for you in this season. That God is using this to set you up for something big that's coming next, to strengthen you and to make you better. And maybe you're sitting there telling yourself, well, that's great, but I can't put myself anywhere near those four men in that category. And while I understand, aside from Jesus, all three of them were not perfect. All three of them were flawed. All three of them had a checkered past. They're more relatable than you think. I'd encourage you to go back and look at their stories. But for all my practical people out there, because I am one of them, I wanted to give you three practical tips today on how to thrive in the wilderness. Let's take a look. Now we're gonna do a little compare contrast. I have three points I wanna go through and we're gonna look at two stories. We're gonna look at the Israelites during the Exodus and then we are gonna look at the story of Noah. One is an example of what not to do and one is the gold standard for what we should all be striving for. Here we go. Point number one on how to thrive in the wilderness is don't panic. That's it, just don't panic. You ever notice how weird people get when they panic? It is not a good look. They look different, they sound different, they start making decisions that they normally would not make. Snickers did a great job capturing this in an advertising campaign. You've probably seen the commercials. These people in these commercials are so hangry that they literally transform into somebody else and are whining and complaining until someone hands them a Snickers bar and they take a bite and they turn back into themselves. The tagline for the Snickers commercials is, you're not you when you're hungry, eat a Snickers. And so today I would tell you, you're not you when you're panic, so just relax, just relax. If you look at any study that's out there and there are a lot of them, they look at the performance of those that perform well under pressure and they're calm compared to those that panic. If you look at any wilderness survival guide, I've looked at several, most of them have somewhere on their list a psychological aspect of not panicking. It's critical to your survival when you are in a wilderness season. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was really good at not panicking, 
but I'm probably just like you and not so good when it comes to these stressful situations. When we had our first kid, Janine and I decided to go on a little journey to the pumpkin patch. A great, beautiful October day. Ella was one years old. We had her in the baby carrier and we decided to head to the corn maze. Now, before you rush to judgment, we went to the grown-up corn maze, not the kitty corn maze. And we're in the corn maze and things are going great. Ella's looking at all the corn. She's having a great time. And then a few minutes later, she did what most babies do and she starts fussing. And, you know, we didn't exactly know why. But all I can tell you is she started getting a little anxious and Janine started getting a little bit anxious. And you're in the middle of a corn maze. There's nowhere to feed the baby. There's nowhere to change the baby. But they started panicking and I started panicking, but I had to get us out of this corn maze. Now, if you took a bird's eye view, we were probably 20 feet away from just walking through a couple corn stalks and being absolutely fine. But we did not feel fine in that moment. We survived, but it was not the most memorable for us. Now you would have thought I learned my lesson, but four years later, we're on a family vacation in downtown Monterey. We're headed to the aquarium. We have three kids now and we see a mirror maze. Now Janine was the smart one. She learned her lesson. She said, I am not going in that mirror maze. And I said, all right, I got it. I'm gonna take the kids in. We will be just fine. Now keep in mind, our oldest is five. We have a three-year-old and almost a one-year-old. But I head into the mirror maze and so far so good. You know, there's mirrors of all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And the kids are having a great time making faces in the mirrors. Until what happened next, which to this day I don't understand, the lights went out a strobe light turned on and a fog machine kicked on. And all of a sudden the kids lost it. I mean, they were full on panic mode, which sent me into panic mode. I was sweating, I was getting claustrophobic. I was seconds away from just yelling, hey, turn on the lights, I gotta get out of here. Now, luckily it didn't come to that and we obviously survived. But man, don't panic. So let's go back to the story of the Israelites and the story of Noah and do a compare contrast of how not to panic when faced with adversity. The setting, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 14. We're gonna to head to verse 29. It says, but the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Hey, so far so good with the people of Israel. And I wanted to start here because it's important. We read about these miracles, but to really appreciate the setting, we gotta try to put ourselves in it. These people were being chased by their enemies. They come up on a body of water and think it is a dead end. This is the end for us. And then God performs a mighty miracle. He splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. And it says there were walls of water on either side of them. Just imagine what that must have been like. And then they get to the other side. The, wall, the walls of water close. And the bodies of the people that were just trying to kill them wash up on the seashore at their feet. What an incredible experience that must have been for the Israelites. So let's see how they respond to this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. 
It says, then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. Three days. This is three days, 72 hours after they had not just heard about this mighty miracle, not just seen this mighty miracle, they were part of this mighty miracle. They walked through on dry ground. And three days later, how quickly they have forgotten how powerful and good God was. It doesn't say that they just politely said, hey, Moses, we're a little parched. Can we get a Gatorade? No, it says that they demanded water and it says that they turned their back on Moses and therefore turned on God as well. Let's keep going. Exodus chapter 16 starts with this. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month, note that, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. You ready? If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Really? Is that what we're doing? The same God, the same God that parted the Red Sea and rescued you from your enemies, the same God that washed the bodies of your enemy up to your feet, that same God, he dragged you through all of that to get you to this point, just to starve you to death in the wilderness. Man, it seems crazy, but it continues. One more example. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 27, Moses says, you complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he has brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. I wrote down, maybe the Israelites should have packed a few Snickers because Lord knows they needed something. It seems crazy that their panic would lead to this level of complaining. But then I thought to myself, I felt a little convicted. And I said, wow, well, it may not have been this bad for me. I sure know that in certain seasons, when things have not gone my way, I've had doubts. I've questioned if God was really there with me. I've panicked. We just gotta remember not to panic when we get into these rough seasons. Because here's why. There's really no need to panic. Deuteronomy chapter two, verse seven, summarizes it very well. It says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. He has watched your every step through this great wilderness. During these 40 years, the Lord has been with you and you have lacked nothing. Look, if you're struggling in this season or any season for that matter, hold on to Deuteronomy 2.7. Remind yourself, read it, remind someone else. Because this is the truth. God never leaves you, he never forsakes you. He is always right there with you. And he will make sure to provide for you so that you have just enough 
for what you need. And that was exactly the case here with the Israelites. Sure, there was pain, but they had water to drink, they had food to eat, they had shelter, they had community, they had direction from God. They had everything that they needed. All right, let's, that's the example of what not to do. Let's take a look at the gold standard. Noah finds himself in his own wilderness season, and yet the response could not be more different. The setting, Genesis chapter six. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. And again, we gotta put ourselves in the situation. The setting is crucial. Just think about it. Noah wasn't living in some comfy little Christian church community. It says the entire earth was filled with violence. It says everybody was corrupt. And so Noah must have been sitting there thinking to himself, man, the times I am living in. Sound familiar? But let's keep going because the interaction between God and Noah is what really struck me as being so profound. In chapter seven, verse four, God says, Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. And God's word is fulfilled. Seven days later, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. There's a flood, the earth is covered and every living thing is wiped off the face of the earth. But again, what I found so profound is what happens next. Let's fast forward to chapter eight. Verse 13 starts with, now Noah was 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, 10 and a half months, note that, 10 and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, that's important. And at last, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat. Now, I've, I stopped myself and I found myself asking, God, what happened to the 40 days and 40 nights? Because if I'm doing my math correctly, Noah was on that boat for more than a year. Now, what God said absolutely was fulfilled. God said it'll rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Yet Noah, his season was way longer than 40 days and 40 nights. I would make the case that Noah's wilderness season, while it was bad before, his true wilderness season didn't start until day 41, when those 40 days and 40 nights had come and gone, and he was still in the middle of a flood, on a boat, with animals and his family, with nothing else living on the face of the earth. And if that wasn't enough to make any one of us panic, there is also no mention of God speaking to Noah during that time. I'm just going off of what the text says. It says that he spoke to him pre-flood, but then he didn't speak to him again until chapter eight that we just read when it was time for him to get off of the boat. So 325 days longer than the 40 day time period, Noah also had no reassurances from God that we can see. God didn't say, hey Noah, just an FYI, my timeline's been extended by a little bit. 
Hey, Noah, hang in there. I got a few stragglers out here I'm still waiting for. Or Noah, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. I'll have us out of here soon. There were no reassurances. And yet there was also no mention of Noah complaining, whining, panicking, turning his back on God. Noah's the gold standard. He was faithful, he was obedient, and he stayed true. We wanna be more like Noah during these wilderness seasons than the Israelites. Step number two for how to thrive in the wilderness. We just need to follow our guide. You gotta follow your guide. Now, if you're in nature, this could be a compass, this could be a GPS, this could be a map, this could be a person who just knows the trails. Whatever it is, you just gotta follow your guide. Now, this looks so different between the Israelites and Noah. See, the Israelites turned on Moses and God on several different occasions. One of the more well-known occasions was when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to bring back down the 10 Commandments. And he's up on the mountain and he's praying, he's seeking God, he's downloading, God's giving him information, he's, he's inscribing it on the tablets. And at one point, God says, you better get back down, you're never gonna believe what's happened. So Moa, uh, I'm sorry, Moses is carrying these tablets and at one point he must have turned a corner and looked down and seen that the people had not only forgot to follow their guide, they'd replaced him all together. They'd melted down gold and they had made a golden calf. And they said, this is our new guide. We have no idea what happened to God. We have no idea what happened to Moses. And so this is our new guide. Not only did they not follow their guide, what I wanna to stress to you today is that their disobedience delayed the message that God had for them. There was, there was powerful information on those tablets, but Moses in his grief broke the tablets and he headed back up to the mountain for another 40 days before he came down. But God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, he didn't say it's a one and done. They still received the message that God had, but there was a delay. This happens again later. God tells the people, I have a land that I have promised you. It's flowing with milk and honey. It is glorious and it is yours. And the people say, sounds great, but we just can't take your word for it. We need to kind of gather our own set of scouts here. We're gonna send them out to take a look and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do. They replaced their guide once again. The scouts are now the guide for the Israelites. And this plays out and all but two come back and give a negative report about what this promised land looks like. They said, there's no way we can go into this land. There's giants. It's filled with our enemies. We will be slaughtered if we go into this promised land. And so they turn back around and head back into the wilderness. But again, we see in God's grace and mercy and goodness, they eventually do enter the promised land. But again, their disobedience and their not following their guide cost them another 39 years in the wilderness. Let's look at what happens with Noah because it couldn't be more different in how Noah responds. Noah knew who his guide was. He stayed faithful to his guide. And we see it with the ark. That's where our mind goes. We think Noah was so obedient and faithful, he built an ark. But I wanna take you pre-ark because I believe that God celebrates and blesses 
even the very, very small acts of obedience just as much as the big ones. Noah's journey started with a yes. It started with God coming to him and saying, look, here's what's happening in the world. Here's what I'm gonna do about it. And here's what I need you to do. And Noah's response was a, yes, God, yes, I will. It was a small act of obedience. What about all the other small acts of obedience with Noah? Think about the times again. Everybody was corrupt, everybody was evil. And yet Noah started building a boat in the middle of the desert. Can you imagine what it must have been like when he was cutting down the first tree? Every strike of the hammer, how much ridicule, how much judgment there must have been with Noah. And yet he stayed true, he stayed faithful, he stayed obedient. And don't forget the last act, the last time we see the communication of him getting off the boat. Remember what it said, he opened the hatch and he had already been on this boat 325 days longer after the rains had stopped. And it says he could finally see the ground, but it was still drying. Now, I don't think he didn't get off that boat because he didn't want to get his sandals dirty. He didn't get off that boat because he wasn't getting off that boat until God said it was time to get off that boat. And Noah's the gold standard when it comes to following your guide. We take you to something a little bit more current, a little bit more recent. Let's talk about a real revival that occurred right here in this country. The setting is 1857 in New York City. Now our country was ripe for revival at the time. The banking system was on the verge of collapse. The railroad was on the verge of collapse. Agriculture was hurting. The price of grain had plummeted. We were only a few years away from a civil war. Churches were in decline. The country was ripe for revival. And then one man came along named Jeremiah Lamphere. He was a layman. He was an everyday guy, just like me and you. And this revival started with him seeking God in prayer and getting direction and just like Noah. Yes, God, I will. I captured from the C.S. Lewis Institute an article. They summarized the story so well. It says, he entered an empty room, pulled out his pocket watch and sat down to wait. The placard outside read, prayer meeting from 12 to one o'clock. Stop five, 10 or 20 minutes or the whole hour as your time admits. It looked like no one had the time. As the minutes ticked by, the solitary waiter wondered if it were all a mistake. I don't know about you, but the times where I felt a little bit of a nudge to step out when God has asked me to do something and I don't see immediate results, I start questioning if I had made a mistake. Let me encourage you that even the smallest acts of obedience are never a mistake. It says he waited 10 minutes, then 10 more. The minute hand of his watch pointed to 1230, when at last he heard a step on the stairs. One man came in, then another, and another until there were six. After a few minutes of prayer, the meeting was dismissed. <laughs> 30 minutes into the meeting, no one had showed up. Then finally, a couple people show up. They pray for a few minutes, and that's it. They call it. After a few minutes of prayer, the meeting was dismissed with the decision that another meeting would be held the following Wednesday. All right, there's the win. We'll meet again next week, they said. 
That small meeting was in no way extraordinary. There was no great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Lanfear had no way of knowing that it was the beginning of a great national revival, which would sweep an estimated one million people into the kingdom of God. This is an unbelievable story. An everyday person just like me and you that started with a small act of obedience, a small act of following his guide, saying, yes, God, I will. I will start a simple prayer meeting at 12 p.m. on a Wednesday in the heart of New York City. And it turned into a million people being saved. Unbelievable. Hey, be strong, follow your guide in this season. You never know what the outcome will be. My last and final point of how to thrive in the wilderness is don't miss the setup. Don't miss it. I'll speak to you again for a minute that God is using this season to set you up for something big, something grand. But we gotta be eyes wide open. We always gotta be on the lookout to identify it, to know what it is and to respond the right way. Let's look at the one year mark in both of the journeys between the Israelites and Noah. Again, a stark contrast. The one year mark for Noah, that was it, man. It was the finish line. He was done. We've already talked about why that was. He was obedient. He didn't panic. He knew who his guide was. Noah knew what he was doing. And yet it was so different for the Israelites. At the one year mark, God says to Moses, hey, it's time to get organized. There were hundreds of thousands of people. This wasn't a small group. There were hundreds of thousands. And God said, these people just don't get it. They're spiritually deaf. They're spiritually mute. They're just not understanding what I'm trying to get through to them. And so as God always does, he says, I will meet you where you are at. The visual for this says it all. God set up a campsite. He gave specific instructions to Moses. He said, look, I want you to separate all the people into 12 groups. These will be the 12 tribes of Israel. And not only do I want you to separate them into groups, I want you to organize them and put them around the perimeter of this thing called the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is where God said, I will dwell among you. It says, I will come be there. My presence will be right there among you. And so what God says, the visual is so good. The people in the tents, in the perimeter around the tabernacle, what they couldn't get spiritually, God says, I'm gonna show you physically. Because if you think about the first step out of their tent every day, they saw the tabernacle. The first thing they were reminded of every morning, God is here, I see God. I see that he is at the center. It was God's physical way of showing them that I should be at the center of your life. I should be the first thing that you see every day. Dedicate, dedicate your lives to me. It is such a great reminder of a setup and a preview, but it gets better. Check out this next visual. This campsite was a tent season in the wilderness, and yet it was an exact preview of what God was going to deliver these people to once they reached the promised land. They went from living in tents to being a might, mighty and great nation. That's what God does. That's who he is. He lifts us up. He will give you a preview during this season of what is yet to come. Don't miss it. Keep your eyes wide open. I wanna end today with a quote 
and a question. Now the Israelites finally did make it into the promised land. Joshua, their leader at the time, asks them a very important question. In Joshua 18, verse three, he says, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? You see, they had finally made it into the promised land, and yet they still hadn't taken possession of what was rightfully theirs. And today I just wanna end and ask you the same question. How long will you wait? Don't wait. Don't wait to lean into God in this season. Don't wait to ask God for direction during this season. And finally, don't wait to say yes. Today I wanna give everybody an opportunity that has not had a chance to declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To say that I believe and I'm ready to start living my life for Jesus. If that is you today and you are ready to make that important decision, would you go ahead and just drop it into the chat right now? Just simply type in yes or go onto our website and let us know and we will have a pastor follow up with you, pray with you and get you a Bible. Or last but not least, just reach out to a friend and let them know, I made the biggest decision of my life today. I said yes to accepting Jesus into my heart. Mission Church, I'm gonna leave us in prayer and I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking to each and every one of us. Lord, help us not to panic in this season. Help us to follow you, our guide. And oh Lord, help us to see the preview of the setup. Help us, Lord, to see what you are doing next for us in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Mission Church, have a great Sunday. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.